Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, and today I've got Jamie Zaninovich, uh, Deputy Commissioner and Chief Operating Officer of the Pac-12 Conference. Uh, really excited to have him on here. And we did take a, a slight week and a half, two-week break due to the Hurricane Dorian. So uh, we are back on and excited to talk to Jamie today about college athletics, his career path, and the different things he's gotten to experience in uh, what we call the front office and, and his life in sports so far. So, Jamie, welcome onto the podcast. Thanks, Jake. Great to be with you. And, um, yeah, thoughts and prayers with all the folks in um, the southeast and in the Bahamas affected by Hurricane Dorian. Absolutely. Yeah, obviously, it, uh, it was not... Um, you know, not as dangerous as it could have been, but uh, still did did a lot of damage. So, uh, absolutely, thoughts and prayers out to those who are who are dealing with it. But uh, let's talk about uh, where the Pac-12 is, um, what your role is, and and really how you got there. Sure. Yeah, I don't know how far back you want to go, but um, I um, I grew up on a college university campus. My dad was actually a professor at the University of Oregon, and I. Grew up running around MacArthur, the old MacArthur Court, for those folks who remember the old sort of mini Boston Garden in Eugene, Oregon, um, and sort of developed my love of college sports there. And then moved around the country a little bit, ended up um, uh, in college doing a lot of sports uh, radio on a, on a student radio station that I was lucky to have access to when I was at Stanford University. I thought I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, got out of... Um, of undergrad and and started my way in sports talk radio as a producer and sometimes on air talent and realized I probably wasn't very good at that so I should try something else. Uh, so I decided I wanted to work in college athletics and specifically be a basketball coach because basketball had always been my passion. Uh, so I um, I showed up one day at Mike Montgomery's office, the then coach at Stanford University, and said I want to work for you for free. And um, he had no idea who I was, but for some reason was uh, kind enough to allow me to come there every day. I worked a, a day job in the morning and then would go over at noon uh, and did everything from help with fundraising, uh, organize golf tournaments, do statistics for practices, do laundry, whatever they'd let me do uh, till about midnight. And then I'd wake up the next day and do it all again. And, and I loved college basketball and, and loved it. So I did that for a year. My quote unquote boss, even though I was a volunteer, got promoted within the athletic department at Stanford. And I was kind of just sitting there and uh, at that point, I don't think Coach Montgomery certainly didn't know my last name. He may have my, ended up working in that position, sort of my first job in, in sports and in college athletics more specifically for three years. It was really a great experience in that I combined a number of different roles uh, on the front lines. So I did operations. I ran uh, for the games. I ran our basketball camps. I did marketing and promotions. I ran our student booster club. I did fundraising. So I just got such great diverse experience. Um, so after doing that for, for a year, I had some opportunities to go, you know, uh, move to small towns around the country and, and join as junior junior member of basketball staffs. And I, uh, whether lucky or otherwise, declined those to um, seek, a, seek a career in athletics administration and set my sights on wanting to be a, an athletic director, actually. So after three years of the job at Stanford, I decided if I want to be an athletic director, I needed a secondary degree. So I looked at law school, looked at business school, Ended up going to business school uh, at still at Stanford. Did that for two years uh, during my business school summer. I was an intern, uh, summer intern at a company called Quaka Sports, one of the original 
digital content companies that NBC Sports had contracted with to put together a website for the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Oh. So got a lot of great experience there doing marketing and market sort of marketing digital products. Um, and after a lot more solar searching, realized that uh, instead of forcing myself for some, to do something else besides sports, that I should, even after business school, pursue my, pursue my passion in sports. So went back to Stanford again, somehow got hired uh, again at Stanford to be a senior assistant AD, uh, now overseeing the men's basketball program as a sports administrator and sort of acting as a one-man strategic planning office. I did everything from help negotiate beverage rights deals on campus to bidding out uh, travel agency rights for the athletic program to looking at reseating plans for um, new facilities for, for donor-based seating. Uh, did that for two years, and then I got a call from a former roommate of a professor of mine at Stanford, a guy named Gary Walters, who was the AD at Princeton at the time, who said, hey, I have a job running my external relations office at Princeton. Would you be interested? And I was uh, dating a woman who's now my wife who is from New Jersey. I figured I'd been at Stanford for long enough, long enough as it was, and uh, getting to the East Coast and the Northeast could be a good experience. So I uh, took that job. Went to Princeton for five years, had a great experience in the Ivy League, um, had a lot of autonomy from my boss who really didn't have an external relations background. So I was able to do a lot in corporate sponsorship. We negotiated, uh, I think it was the first ever Nike agreement um, in the Ivy League at Princeton. We did an ESPN deal, early days of ESPNU and got a lot of great experience there. Then after five years, I got a, a call from, um, a couple calls from, folks in the Pac-12 that, that I used to work with that were now at the West Coast Conference who said, we have a commissioner job at the WCC and you really should look at it. And I said, I'm not even an athletic director. I've never worked in a conference office. I don't know anything about that. You know, I'm sure I'm not qualified, but thanks, but no thanks. And they said, well, they called back a couple weeks later and said, no, you really got to look at the job description. I said, okay, I'll look at the job description. So the job description was, uh, they'd had the same commissioner for 24 years. They needed someone that uh, had a basketball background, understand pre understood private schools, had some connections to the West, uh, understood media, and could sort of run a small business. And I thought, well, that's that sounds interesting. Maybe I could get excited about that. So uh, long story short, got excited about it, went through a search firm process. I, I don't think the search firm probably uh, thought I had any chance of making it through based on my, uh, my, my uh, resume. And uh, as I described it at age 38, I think it was, I came, became sort of the accidental commissioner. Um, so I, I moved to the, back to the West Coast, was at the West Coast Conference for six years. It was an unbelievable experience. Got to do a lot of cool things, work with great people, great schools, unbelievable presidents on my board. Um, we moved our tournament to Las Vegas. We did an ESPN agreement. We launched a digital network. Uh, and then six years into that, Larry Scott called and said, my deputy commissioner, COO is moving on. And would you be interested? And, and um, I, I said, well, maybe. And uh, I sort of looked at it as a, there are very few deputy commissioner jobs I would take, but um, this was a, a conference uh, that was a Autonomy 5 conference, owned our, owned our own media company, um, had some real innovative things going like our international work. Um, and one thing led to another. And um, I remember talking to Greg Sankey at the time, who was the just name or not yet named the SEC mm -hmm. commissioner, I think, who actually had left a commissioner job for a deputy job. And I said, Greg and our friends, I said, Greg, you know, what do you think? He said, well, you know, I did the same thing at the SEC. And my thought was, you know, I was at the Southland conference at the time. And he said to me, Greg said to me, you know, I thought to myself, I can either do another lap or I can take a chance. 
And I thought, oh, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. So at age 43, I guess it was, I took the chance to come here and it's, it's worked out great. My role here is not so much a traditional deputy uh, or traditional COO, which, which is, is fine. I don't manage the entire operation, which is certainly fine. Um, but I have sort of diverse responsibilities, everything from managing our, uh, our TV partnerships with Fox, ESPN, and Pac-12 Networks to um, running point on our bowl relationships and negotiating those agreements and managing those uh, partnerships to running our international business to overseeing our men's basketball uh, as sports administrator and then sort of whatever projects Larry throws my way. So that's probably a much longer walkabout than you wanted, but uh, assuming you have listeners that are interested in careers in sports and everybody wants to know the different pathway that people took. That was my, uh, that was my winding. No, it's extremely interesting. And, and I, you know, just listening to it, the one thing I really picked up on was just diversity and, you know, obviously the diversity of experience, but the diversity of experience early on and how that kind of helped shape your path or maybe thought perspectives on, on how to continue to gain those diverse experiences for those who maybe start off in ticket sales or they start off in sponsorship and only want to do sponsorship or, you know, maybe they're uh, in the events and operations side and don't want to go into sales, but they pigeon, you know, maybe pigeon themselves into a corner of, of responsibilities. Uh, What were, you know, maybe one of the two main things that you learned from like diverse experiences early on that have helped you in the diverse role that you have now? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think I think diversity experience is really good, especially getting it when you're starting out in your career, when honestly you have the time and not the obligations uh, to do it. Um, but I hearken back to operations days or marketing days all the time, and in whatever I do, I, I think I think the reality is, you know, when you're young and starting in your career, you maybe don't know what you're best at or what you're good at or what you're most passionate about. Um, and so you have to sort of test those things. And at the end of the day, I'm a big believer in, you know, we are best at what we're most passionate about. Um, you know, I found my way to conference work. It's very strategic. Uh, that's one reason why I like it a lot. Um, I deal with media. It's something I'm very interested in. I like that a lot. So it really fits my passion. And that's why I think um, I've had at least a little staying power in it. So I think, you know, testing different things, pushing yourself to uncomfortable areas that you may not know if you like or not, and then sort of settling on that thing that you could really get passionate about um, and, you know, keeps you up at night because you care about it so much, not keeps you up at night because you feel obligated to it so much. Um, those are the things that we're all going to be best at and you're going to be most valuable to your uh, boss or employer for because you're going to be the most motivated to sort of keep your nose to the grindstone and, gr- and grind away on it even when, you don't no, know. No, absolutely. You know, and I guess from a passion perspective, you know, what made you shift from, you know, the basketball coaching aspect to the administration aspect? And were there passions that were similar enough that you were able to kind of morph your career, you know, along the administration route, but still have the same passions or did the passions change? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, I think it's sort of a better lucky than good. (laughs) I'm not sure I had as much foresight as, as I could have when I was, you know, 25 years old, but Honestly, I think I really just looked down the line and and thought, hey, you know, I'm in the Bay Area. It's a place I love. And do I want to move to, you know, a small town USA and have my career attached to um, a bunch of, you know, 18 to 20 year olds 
uh, in a game that I love, but it's not, you know, am I someone that's willing to sign up for that sort of variability? Um, and and I, I'm not sure my kind of risk profile fits that. Um, and I think it's also, I, I think I was also, again, kind of better lucky than good, but able to understand at that time sort of what I was sort of most marketable or best at, right? I mean, I had not been a student athlete. I had not been a coach. I'd coached in high school basketball. So that put me a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of being being a basketball coach. And then I'm not sure, I mean, I'd worked a bunch of basketball camps, but I'm not sure I was a great teacher um, of the game. And so I think I needed to sort of be really introspective about sort of what I was best at. And I think I thought, hey, you know, my passion is for basketball and college sports. And I think I'm probably better at the administrative or business side of this. So I'll probably be most successful if I combine those two things instead of um, trying to sort of leverage something that maybe, you know, I'm not as not as talented at. And that goes back to our previous conversation. That just had to do mm -hmm. with testing it, right? Going out and doing those things and seeing those things that I felt like I could get you know, be most successful at and, and be most. So for those at. who are listening, who, you know, are in those, you know, 20 to 30 year old range who are kind of still going through multiple roles, kind of feeling it out. Uh, maybe they're trying to break into the industry, but uh, we all kind of hear that. I want to be a coach. I want to be a GM. I want to be on the player side. Um, and maybe you don't always hear as much of, I want to be on the administrative side for those people who are, trying to make those decisions, um, what has changed now or from when you were looking at it to now and, and have any of those realities differed in, in today's society? I mean, I, I'm obviously most close to college basketball. I mean, I think, I think the stability thing has, if anything, gotten mm -hmm. more challenging. I mean, if you look at the 10 years of coaches or you look at the 10 years even of athletic directors or university presidents in the college, college context, and certainly – professional coaches and, and probably GMs too. I mean, there's just less stability because people in positions turn over much more now than they have in the past, whether that's because of the media environment or expectations or competitive nature or, uh, you know, money mm -hmm. or whatever it is, that just seems to be the case. So, um, so I, I think it's actually less stable than before. So in my mind, you know, maybe I would have, again, I think I, some of this was just dumb luck, but I think I probably would have made the decision maybe even more quickly today <laughs> than I, <laughs> I did back then. Sure. But who knows? We also, you know, there's also the, there's chaos theory and randomness in, in all of this too, right? I mean, I'm sure there's decisions I made at points in the road that I didn't think very much about that just took me in a direction. So you can't, absolutely. You, can't that. Uh, you know, since you were at Princeton at Stanford and, and have been at the conference level multiple times, I want to, I want to talk through kind of the game day experience. Uh, it's something that, I think some people love can't and, and can't get away from some people can do without it, but still enjoy working in sports without it. Uh, I guess, can you talk about your experiences, you know, maybe being fully in and, and uh, energies associated with the game days, looking forward to the next game and then being at the conference level where you're talking about, it's a lot more strategic. It's a lot more forward thinking um, about, you know, the years to come uh, and then the games just kind of happen. Yeah, I think uh, it, this was best articulated to me by an AD I used to work with who said the, the biggest difference between being on a conference, being in a conference and working on campus is the highs aren't as high and the lows <laughs> aren't as low. And I think that really captures it the best. You know, when you're at a conference, you're sort of part of a team, but not really. In our case, I have 12 institutions I serve. Most of the time they're playing each other. Mm -hmm. 
you know, season I get to go out and sort of join them as a team. And depending on the school, you know, you have more or less success and that's exciting, but you don't have those highs of a big win and have student athletes around sort of developing as part of those wins and losses to sort of celebrate. Um, that being said, you also don't have the lows of a crushing loss or, um, you know, a, a discipline problem you have to deal with or, you know, um, impact of, you know, managing different constituents like, you know, directly like fans and community and otherwise. So I, I think it's really it. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a different, it's just different. It's neither. Um, I do, I do love when I get back on campus and, and just cause I grew up on a campus and that energy uh, and the energy of game day. I mean, that is something that, you know, when I manage in a conference, I'm always making sure that the people that work on our campus and feeling that and reminding themselves the power and the energy of college sports and why it's so important and why, why we spend time serving that mission. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, you know, there, there's nothing like the kind of endorphin rush of a game day experience. Um, win or lose, you know, even before the ball is kicked or the ball is tipped, just that energy. Jamie, now one of the things you referred okay. to earlier in, in your career path was uh, about the people you worked with, specifically at the Pac-12 West Coast Conference and, and just kind of throughout your career. It, it's been a trend throughout our podcast, uh, talking about people, talking about networking and relationships. But uh, I want to kind of dive into just how people have impacted not only your career, but uh, how you as a person can impact someone else's career and kind of uh, how we can be impactful throughout the, the industry, not only, you know, within our own department or office, but, but also across, you know, the country. Um, what's maybe, we'll call it your secret sauce. In terms yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, it's funny, networking, mentoring, you know, it gets a lot of discussion. I think at the end of the day, you know, the way it works is you got to pay things forward and then you got to pay things. I mean, in your current job, you know, developing authentic relationships is about paying things forward because I think has to do with the fact that there were so many people when we were coming up and our quote unquote generation, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that now, uh, but I am, um, that, uh, you know, paid it, paid it back for us. Right. So, um, a guy, you know, my mentors are people that, you know, a guy like Tom Beckett, who's a long time AD at Yale, who, when I was a student at Stanford, just showed an interest in me or. Gary Walters, my boss at, 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 um, at um, Princeton, or dare I say, Andy Dolich, who's someone I met you know, 20 plus years ago when I put together a conference. But you develop these authentic relationships and then, you know, those people pay it back for you. And then we all have that responsibility to pay it back for the next generation. So just, you know, yeah. So I just think it's important that, you know, for those of us that had folks that gave back their time back to us just to help us learn or make our way that, you know, you have an obligation to do the same. I've, uh, I've had a lot of mentors that have done that for me. And so I'm a, with, for better or for worse, it keeps me busy. But generally, if I get a referral or recommendation from someone that wants to do an informational call or coffee or whatever, I generally won't say no unless I have, um, you know, some other obligation that I absolutely can't miss. I'll, I'll make it work. It may take a while within my calendar to get it. But I think, you know, all, all the folks, I, whenever those requests are made, I always think of all the people that gave me time when I asked them and had no reason to give me time. So um, I think it's just a, you know, you pay it forward and then you pay it back. I think that's the kind of the No, the that's message. great. And 
you know, as you have continued to oversee, you know, groups of people, um, being a leader yourself, what's maybe one quality that you've seen over the years um, help people be successful? Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, a willingness to always want to learn and sort of an obsession with continuous improvement are the things that I really value in colleagues. Um, honestly, when, when I'm hiring people or we're hiring people here, it's really less about the hard skills. We need to know that you can be able to do the job, but it's really more about, you know, quote unquote, cultural fit. And for me, that's, you know, uh, is it someone that you want to spend time with? Do they have this obsession with continuous improvement and are always pushing mm -hmm. themselves to learn? Um, do they have a strong sense of purpose in what they do? You know, do they have a strong work ethic? It's really things that are more the soft skills that you can't teach because you can teach people the hard skills. It's the other things that, that, are, that are really important. But I don't think if I had to point to one, something that really resonates with me is sort of this kind of an obsession with continual learning and continuous improvement because then, you know, those are very ambitious people that are always going to be, be pushing. I, I had a boss at, uh, my boss, Gary Walters at Princeton, who had worked on Wall Street and then was an athletic director at Princeton. He used to say, and he was a basketball coach before that, he used to say, when I was a coach, I always want, wanted to hire assistant coaches who told me they wanted to be head coaches. And as an athletic director, I always want to hire assistant and associate athletic directors that tell me they want to be athletic directors. And that's because those people that are, that are most ambitious are going to be be the best employees and the best team members. Oh, that's fantastic. So I always sort of took that to heart. Um, I always sort of took that to heart. And um, and yeah, you want ambitious people that are continually pushing themselves to, to be better for themselves and, and more importantly, be better for sure. the team. And I guess as we kind of wrap up the episode, what's, what's maybe one thing looking back uh, that you would be able to give, you know, someone who's 25 kind of thinking uh, which direction they're going to take their career as, as you were at that point. Uh, what's one thing that you learned along the way that uh, you wish you would have known then? Be patient, I think. Um, be patient with yourself and be patient with others. Um, and don't try to control things too much. Uh, like I said before, pay it forward. Um, be a good teammate. And I'm a big believer in karma that for those that apply themselves that way and think of their relationships that way. Uh, generally you end up getting taken care of. I think there's maybe, I did it probably in my youth and there's probably more so than ever now, this idea of sort of individual control of situations mm -hmm. or somehow being formulaic in where you're getting. And I think the, there's a little bit more chaos theory in the world than people um, are probably willing to admit. And um, generally if you execute on those sort of soft skills and are a good teammate and always learning that, Good things will good things will come to you. That's awesome. I'm a big believer in that. That's so. awesome. Well, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, you know, enjoyed learning about your career path and and some of the things that uh, I know myself and and our listeners can certainly take and run with and uh, try and get better every day. So we appreciate you being on life in the in the front office and. Uh, Look forward to having you on again soon. Thanks, Jake. I enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for the time and um, anytime. Happy to join.